Hello and welcome to E3, Energy and Efficiency with Emily. I'm your host, Emily Mottram. This podcast is all about architecture, building science, and female entrepreneurship. So prepare to get nerdy. Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast in 2020. I am pretty excited about what we have going on this year. We have a bunch of big quarterly goals and one of them is to talk a lot more about building science and the pretty good house and what that means um, both in energy efficiency and carbon offsetting and to start that off we're going to start off the season talking about economics which is the first guidepost in the pretty good house there will be a bunch of ways to stay involved with the pretty good house this year um, both at the pretty we're going to do a webinar series throughout the course of the year to go over the 12 guideposts. We're really hoping to incorporate some live webinars with that to answer questions from homeowners, builders, and architects. There's probably also going to be some in-person events that'll happen over the course of the year, either at Performance Building Supply or at both of the building science discussion groups that happen in Maine, the BSM Beer in Liberty, and uh, Performance Building Supplies Building Discussion Group in Portland. So plenty of ways to stay involved in what's going on at the Pretty Good House and in the building community here in Maine. Also, if you're an architect or builder and you're really interested in improving the efficiency in the housing stock in the state of Maine, there's a lot going on right now with the NUBEC and the energy codes. So if you're out and about on Thursday, January 16th, they're holding an event at the Department of Public Safety in Augusta to go over the residential energy, residential ventilation, and residential mechanical for the IECC. It is 9 a.m. to 11.30 a.m. that they're going over residential. Then there'll be commercial after that. So if you follow along to the podcast and you do more commercial work, there will be additional commercial on the IECC for Maine from 12.30 to 3 p.m. There are also a bunch of really wonderful organizations here in the state of Maine, Maine Indoor Air Quality, Maine Passive House, and uh, a lot of events put on by Green and Healthy Homes. So stay tuned or join our mailing list. We send out a monthly email that talks about articles we've read, podcasts that we are really happy that we've listened to or recorded this year. And also we put out there whatever the upcoming events are um, in greater New England, if I have them, um, but at least in Maine for what I know is going on. So stay tuned by joining our mailing list. Go over to www.matrom.com arch.com and join the mailing list. The pop-up should come up as soon as you do that. And uh, stay tuned on prettygoodhouse.org's website so that you can stay in tune with the guideposts and what we'll be discussing and covering here on the podcast. So jumping right in, um, if you're not familiar with Pretty Good House, maybe you haven't listened to all of our podcasts or um, heard what it is, but we use Pretty Good House as a guideline for designing and building a pretty damn good house. And that's what I want to talk about a little bit today. Actually, it came up in uh, contract negotiations that I'm working with on a homeowner where I said, we're going to build an energy efficient house. And they said, that's a pretty vague term. What does that mean? Are there guidelines? And the short answer is yes. And the long answer is no. And pretty good house really follows the idea that you improve the efficiency of the structure until it's no longer economically viable. And since we're going to talk about economics, what does economically viable mean? 
And um, we actually had a whole discussion about it because we're going to do a webinar on Pretty Good House Economics here in January. So stay tuned for that recording after we post that on prettygoodhouse.org. And um, you'll get to see some questions and answers that go with it. But the long and short of economics are payback and return on investment. Um, first cost versus the lifetime cost of a product. So, you know, metal roofing has a 50 year longevity, but it costs three times as much as uh, asphalt shingles. So at what point do you spend more money because it's going to last longer? Or do you opt for something that maybe has a uh, shorter time frame? There's also investing in renovations. Is it worth it? Uh, if you have an 1850s farmhouse with no insulation in it, then the economics are going to be there all day long to add air sealing and insulation. But if you have a house that was built in the 1980s and it's kind of leaky and drafty, but it's got some insulation in it and, you know, maybe the fuel oil truck is only coming once a month or once every six weeks, there's a point at which the carbon that you're going to put into the environment to do a renovation isn't going to make sense economically for uh, both the cost of what you put into the house um, but also for the cost of what you're doing to the environment so at Pretty Good House we are really interested in both the economics financially but also the economics of what we're doing to the environment what are we producing and how is that having a major effect on the environment. And in fact, it became really clear to me um, recently, I went to Pennsylvania to spend uh, time with my family over the holidays, which was wonderful. And uh, it was great to kick back and relax and see them. But we're driving around and we're close to my parents' house and they live in a sort of rural part of Lancaster County and the air quality was pretty bad. And I stopped and I asked my dad, I was like, hey, what's going on? Is something burning? Like, why is the air quality so bad? And he mentioned that they have more bad air quality days in Lancaster County now than they have good air quality days. And growing up in a rural farming community, for me, it was never like that as a child. And in fact, I can remember even just last year not remembering it being like that. But the smog and the air quality was so poor a couple of the days that we were there. It made me think of when I went out and visited Los Angeles a few years ago. And I'm standing at the foot of the Getty Center looking at the overlook and you can't see anything because the smog and the air quality is so bad. And I thought, what's going on here in Lancaster County that's causing the air quality to be so bad? And I didn't have a lot of time to do a lot of research, but there were some other things that my dad mentioned, which was they think over the next couple of years, Lancaster County is going to grow by another 100,000 individuals. So there's more people. It's not really a city, so it's not laid out for transportation where people will take public transportation. So everybody has a car and everybody drives everywhere, which adding that many more people and that many more cars and that much more driving is definitely going to have an effect on the air quality. But it also is becoming really economically unviable to be a farmer these days. And so a lot of the absolute prime farmland that is located in Lancaster County is getting sold off and being developed for housing to house these populations. And, you know, once they build on that, that farmland is no longer going to be viable for farming. And it's some of the best farmland, I believe, in the country, from what I understand of the quality of the soils and what grows there. Um, living in Maine for the last 10 to 15 years, it's amazing what grows here versus what everything grew in Pennsylvania. And so 
we're losing our farmland, we're adding housing, we're adding more people, and it seems to be having a major impact on the air quality in that area. Um, it's also not too far from a FedEx distribution uh, area and a FedEx facility, which then prompts an Amazon facility and a Walmart distribution facility. And, you know, it makes you wonder if more increased air traffic and more um, larger facilities there are causing an, another influx of people, as that's what, what bringing the people to the area. I don't know, but it really made me question and think about the environment and the air quality and this place that I grew up that no longer even really seems familiar to me because there's so much housing, there's so much less farmland, and the air quality is so much worse than, you know, we played outside as kids and, you know, we spent all of our times outdoors hiking and playing and, you know, that just doesn't seem to have the same effect now. And, you know, certainly coming back to Maine then a week later and taking a deep breath and thinking, oh my gosh, this air quality and the atmosphere here in Maine is amazing. And how do we really sustainably develop parts of Maine without also causing all of the major problems that are caused in overdeveloped areas. And so definitely a concern as we want to think about the economics of what we're doing is, does it make more sense to have denser, more compact housing? Do we limit urban sprawl? And a lot of these really high performance homes that we're building are absolutely beautiful and they're gorgeous, but they're not necessarily built in the city or even in, you know, close tight knit neighborhoods and is building a super energy efficient house out on a tract of 20 acre land really the most sustainable way to go. So anyway, thought processes, things that go through my head in 2020 and thinking about the economics of what makes sense? What do we do with our existing housing stock? What do we do if we're going to build new housing stock? At the Passive House Forum, it definitely was brought up that if you're going to build new, why aren't we building as efficiently as possible? And then we look at what our government is doing on the energy efficiency here in Maine and adopting the IECC 2015, which is now five years old, and looking at that and still striking things out of it to not improve the efficiency. And unfortunately, I think that maybe that's not the way to go. We need to be looking at, uh, you know, doing more with the renovations that we have to try to cut down on the next 10 years of carbon before it's too late to do anything about it. And since this week is going to be more of a high-level economics and things to think about on the podcast and economics and Pretty Good House and Pretty Good House Renovations, um, I don't want to delve too deep into it. We'll do a whole podcast on return on investment and some examples and some things that we can think about and do there, but just want to do some high-level thinking on, you know, what does economics mean? And another thing that um, I talked to another client about was, you know, does it make sense to wait to do something until you can afford to do all of it or to try and piecemeal something? So if you have a piece of property and you need to do work there, do you put a shed on it? And then do you have to take the shed down because the shed never really uh, met the needs of what you wanted to do there, but you needed to build a house. And so then you build a house on the site, but you couldn't afford to build the house plus the workshop that you really needed to be successful on that site. So you only built one part or the other. And in the long run, it economically takes you more money to do it than it would have potentially to just wait an extra year until you have the money to do it. 
At the same time, when you're talking about economics, every year, probably for the last four or five years, it feels like building products have gone up another 30% over the year before. And so sometimes waiting doesn't mean you'll have any extra money. And so maybe what is economics is not thinking about things in terms of square footage, but in talking to your design team and professionals and figuring out what you actually need for your program and how to get uh, really efficient with that. You've heard me mention Corinne with Tiny Homes of Maine several times. We love her. We think she's fantastic. When you live in a tiny home, you have to decide what fits and what doesn't fit. Um, Also, too, if you have TV and you watch anything uh, or Netflix, um, Tiny Home Nation, it's always really fascinating how they've come up with interesting strategies to meet a couple's needs or an individual's needs to um, create a space that has a crafting area and the table folds up into the ceiling or to create a... um, carport on the end of a tiny house because your business is actually fixing and repairing a vehicle and you need a covered area. So starting to think outside of the box and to getting away from the norms of square footage, we have to have three bedrooms, two and a half baths, and 2,500 square footage because that's what the market is asking for. Except recently, and even so in the last uh, week or more, I've had at least four people ask me for a thousand square feet or less. They don't want a basement. They don't want all the extra square footage. And it just doesn't exist right now. Um, It's baffling to me. It's the same. If you move to Florida, you'd never expect to have a basement. But in Maine, there's some strange thing about I go into a house and if it doesn't have a basement I can't live here but what are we doing with our basements Um, in my experience what people have done with their basements is kind of forget they're there or keep a lot of stuff in the basement that they don't actually need or want and that adds to another economic challenge which is if you have more square footage do you acquire more things and if you acquire more things are you spending more money acquiring things that maybe you didn't want or don't actually solve a need Um, that's again one of those really high level thinking about um how we perceive our space and how we perceive our stuff and what makes us feel better. Um, And I've read a lot of really interesting things because I'm kind of interested in the whole minimalist movement. Um, More of a cozy minimalist than an actual minimalist. I like having, you know, comfortable seating and artwork on my walls, but maybe not so much the tchotchke and fill the space because it hasn't... um, doesn't feel the way I thought it would or because I went into home goods and there's all kinds of cool cute things to decorate your house that you feel like you need to have Um, and Corinne with Tiny Homes mentioned you know you go into those places or you go into Target and you walk past it and you have to say to yourself do I have room to store this if it's a Christmas decoration after the fact or you know do I have a space to place this and will it make the space better and so when thinking in terms of economics we actually have to think in terms of our our mental health and what buying things makes us feel or you know if you have a house and you have a five-foot closet and that's all you have then maybe you don't have room for this great uh piece of clothing that you saw while you were out shopping. And if you listen to the podcast at the end of last year, um, or met me, talk to me about all kinds of things, I talk about fast fashion a lot, and how um, our society is bent around uh, 
fashionable things that we get rid of every year and we're creating a climate of, you know, clothing that gets thrown away and sent to other countries and they're buried under mountains of clothing and it's just not sustainably grown and people aren't, um, they aren't making living wages where they're growing the fabrics that we need to use or the factories where they're produced or um, they're using too much water to grow because they're growing things in areas where things weren't meant to grow. Um, so it's really interesting to think about fast fashion, but it goes back to economics again, which is if you're not about fast fashion and the same with not about fast building, which is what we should stop doing, fast building. And maybe that's what I'll start terming all of the poorly built structures that go up these days is fast building. But if you're against fast fashion, you're looking for quality uh, pieces of clothing that can live in your wardrobe for a really long piece of part of time and um, making that economic choice to spend more money on that article of clothing because you know that you're going to keep it for a longer period of time, which means in the long run, it's actually going to cost you less because you wore it every day for 10 years or you kept it for longer. So when you talk about economics, you really have to think about how long am I going to live in this house? How much money am I going to put into a material? What is the longevity of that material? We love the old 1800 farmhouses that we still have here in Maine, this beautiful housing stock. They don't build this way anymore. And um, it's really great to see that those are still standing. And what did they do differently? And how did they build differently that those things from the 1800s are still standing? And yet we have things from, um, from now that rotted and wore out and of course you go back and you say well that's because buildings need to breathe and um, unfortunately that's not really the case I mean yes they need to dry out that's not the same as breathing and we did do some bad things in the energy efficient world as we learned all of that sick building syndrome and so that's why it's really important to understand the dynamics of house as a system and every piece that you put together to make sure that it does it does dry out and that it dries to the inside or dries to the outside and you use all the right parts and pieces together because economically we need to save that money. We can't be blowing heat into these 1850s farmhouses the way that we're doing and using fossil fuels in this way. But at the same time, we can't be building buildings that are only going to last three, five, ten years because they're falling apart and rotting. So you really have to think about all of the building components that you put together to create this new assembly because technology is moving in that way. And we need to reduce and get off fossil fuels. We need to invest in our renewable resources. And yes, they do cost carbon to produce renewable as well but at a significantly lower rate and maybe for a longer period of time. And if we can offset that with carbon negative materials, we can offset it. So thinking about economics does extend past what does it cost to build today? Because it also costs in carbon, how much carbon have I used to get to this point today? So anyway, that's kind of the high overview on economics. We're going to talk a lot more about it uh, this month, hopefully doing some more uh, case studies or information on return on investment and, you know, what you maybe could expect as far as, you know, changing from one thing to another um, and the materials to use and all of the other things that go into a more concrete economics. But today I just wanted to talk about all the things that you have to think about 
in the term economics and how that relates to the pretty good house. And we're going to talk a lot about the pretty good house this year in 2020. So I hope you'll join in. I hope you'll ask questions. Send me questions, emily at matromarch.com. If you have questions or leave a comment here on the podcast, either on the website or Apple, wherever you are listening to this podcast. And if you have specific people that you'd like to hear from, or you'd like me to have on the podcast to talk more about their specialties, I would be more than happy to do that. I'm sure that you will see the pretty good house guys on here, Bob and Mike, and maybe we'll even get Dan on here. He's the elusive head of uh, starting, I just want to build a pretty damn good house. And so we'll get you on here, Dan. Um, And we've had Steve on in the past, so we'll definitely have Steve again. And so um, I am not the sole person behind Pretty Good House. In fact, if you want to get involved in Pretty Good House, reach out as well. You can send me an email and I can tell you how you can get involved and what we might be able to do there. We really want it to be a great resource where people can go and get questions answered that come up often, but we also want it to be a great resource for people who are starting to think about how to do it better. It's not a certification program. You don't have to build a passive house, but maybe your pretty good house is a passive house. You don't have to build a lead house or a living building challenge house or an energy star house or even participate in any programs. But following behind and understanding the building science behind building is really fascinating and how to do that economically is going to be a great part. And I will tell you that the month of February is all about team. And I've always talked from the beginning that an integrated design team is the best way to get the most for your money out of your project. So that to me is definitely economically viable. People tell me all the time, it's too expensive to hire an architect and, um, Of course, not all architects are created equal, and there are some great builders and terrible architects. There are some great architects and terrible builders. So putting together the right team is definitely going to get you the best bang for your buck when you're building, and it's always worth the money during the design phase to really narrow down to what's most important to you. How does that work on the site? Where's the light here? Can we cut out a couple of windows and save money in economics? And definitely, definitely spend all the money in the shell and put in that granite countertop later. So that's my two bits on economics for this week. I am happy to see you back for 2020. I have high hopes for the podcast this year. I have high hopes for the Good House Guild. So stay tuned on the Good House Guild. And there's going to be a lot happening with Pretty Good House. So I'm hoping that's going to gain a lot of traction this year. Like it, share it, join us. Uh, jump in, send suggestions, and we'd be happy to incorporate that as we go throughout the year. So welcome to 2020, and I'm happy to have you back.